So in grad school, I had to take uh, Greek, and I don't remember why, but I was very busy at the front end of the semester, and there was this chart that my professor wanted me to memorize. And that week I was busy, so I said, you know what, I'm just not going to memorize that chart. And I left it blank, and my grade showed that. And so <laughs> the next week I thought, well, that's behind me, let me study for this week coming up, and, and I'll be ready. And wouldn't you know it, but that chart showed right back up on the quiz. I didn't memorize the chart. But then it dawned on me, this is going to be an important chart. So that next week, I spent time memorizing the chart. Everybody else had moved on. They, they were doing other work. And there I was, back at the basics, memorizing this thing that I should have learned a long time ago. And today, I want to invite you, if you have your Bible with you, to go to Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to start there and make our way uh, down to Hebrews chapter 5 after that. But today, I want to talk about learning the basics, mastering the basics, but then being able to move on after you know them. Well, my name is Cale Courtright. I want to welcome you again today. You've been welcomed a few times. We're so glad that you're here to worship with us, especially if you're new with us here. If this is your first time here at Crosspoint, we're so glad that you've been here to worship with us this morning. We had an awesome men's conference this weekend. The first thing I want to say is just thank you to everyone who volunteered. There were a, a bunch of women there to help volunteer and to serve, and we are so thankful for you. Could not have happened without you. I also want to say I am so glad we have a church family where about 120 guys showed up between Friday night and Saturday morning. And my prayer is that this weekend lit a fire in you guys. And that fire will extend into this church. And it will change this church. It will change this community because of what you experienced. Because we did have a great time together. We had a lot of fun, a lot of learning, a lot of laughter. And there was an, an eight-man foosball table out there, and you knew it because you could hear it all over the building. <laughs> it was a great time. So we're glad that you were there. Um, as I told you last week, we've been anchored in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. I want to read that again as we get started this morning. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So today I want to talk about that race that we have and what it looks like to run that race. Not to crawl or not to walk, but to actually run the race marked out for us. Last week we looked at Hebrews chapter 11 about this cloud of witnesses that we have around us. The people that have gone before us. And the people, some of which are in this very room, that surround you now. That make it possible for you to run. That when, when life gets difficult, you can look at their example. And you, and you can run with faith just as they ran with faith. Last week, the challenge before us was to have that kind of faith that at the end of your days, that you could be added to a list like that. That someone in this very room might, might look at you and say, that's one of my heroes of the faith. I, I've seen the way they live. That's our goal, is to be that kind of person. And today, the message is, is similar. It's to have that kind of faith. It starts somewhere, but, but the message today from the writer of Hebrews is, for many of us, it's time to grow up. It's time to grow up, it's time to stop walking, stop crawling, and to actually start running this race. 
Let's start in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. We have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. Now, before we move on, I want to, to highlight what this is. We have much to say about this. Well, if you back up just two verses, in verses uh, 8 and 9, it says, Son though he was, Jesus learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for, for all who obey him. It has been said that this is the heart of the book of Hebrews, that this is the theme, this is the core verse. It's all about Jesus, and we follow him. Let me read that again for you. Son, though he was, Jesus learned obedience from what he suffered, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. This is who we are church, that we look to Jesus. He is the, the pioneer and perfecter. He is the trailblazer of faith. He makes it all possible, but we have to follow his example. And even though he was son, he still learned obedience. And you too will have to learn obedience if Jesus did. Let's continue in verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 11. We have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone else to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instructions about cleansing rites and laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. Church, you need to grow up. And God permitting, you will do so. The, the writer here is painting a picture and is trying to describe to you what has happened here. And my guess is that you look back on your own life that you've had very that you have had seasons just like this. Seasons where you're not even really trying. The writer says, I would love to describe this to you, but you're not even trying to understand anymore. That if you remember when you first came to faith, the excitement you had, the energy you had around faith, and at some point that, that probably faded a little bit, didn't it? That, that your excitement for the gospel, that your excitement for Jesus kind of, kind of was made lower. It wasn't, you weren't quite so desperate for that information anymore. That's what he's saying is, this is who you are. See, you have grown adrift, that you're not progressing in your faith anymore. He says, by this point, you should be a teacher, but you're not. You're still a student. What he's, what he's doing is what any parent knows how to do. He's using reverse psychology. Because you can almost hear the other side of the story, can't you? You can hear the, the first church there reading this and going, well, hold on a minute. Who are you calling an infant here? In fact, as parents know, we do this all the time. I did just this week. I was working on something at the house, and I really needed a few minutes of peace and quiet. Thankfully, my kids were playing video games, so they were, they were a little bit busy. But, but I could kind of hear that the game was breaking down. There, there was some disagreement over what they should play next. And I could hear them start to, start to get a little frustrated. And I knew what was going to happen is they were going to end up with me. 
and I wasn't, and I wasn't done yet. So I casually walk over there and I say, how's it going, guys? They say, well, you know, they start to give me the frustrations. And I say, hey, you know what? You play video games as long as you need, but when you're done, it's time to clean your room. Guess what? They figured out what game to play. <laughs> it was, <clears throat> there was many more hours of video games after that point. <laughs> the writer here says, you should be a teacher, but you're still a student. Now, this isn't to, to say that everyone should be a minister. It's not like Paul saying you should be an apostle after me. What he's saying is that you've been around the church long enough. You've learned some things. Jesus, at the end of his life, right before his life here on earth, right before he ascends into heaven, he says, therefore, go and make disciples. The call here is to become a disciple that makes disciples, to be a teacher, to pass on what you've learned. See, today I am still someone's child. But I don't carry that when I try to parent my kids. See, for my kids, I'm a parent. To my parents, I'm still a child, right? So you are called to become a teacher, is what he said. But you're still a student. You should be growing up, but you still need milk. It's time to hear these words and put them into practice. The word to hear and the word to obey come from the same root word in the Greek. He says it's time to hear. It's time to obey. And, and we say this all the time, don't we? We might tell our kids or those around us, did you hear me? And when we say that, the implication is, if you heard me, then you should obey me. And the same is true for the gospel truth, is that if you have heard, you should obey. If you have heard this, you should put it into practice. Or, again, to say it quite, quite simply, it's time to grow up. So you have basically two choices with your faith. You can progress, you can grow, you can mature, or you can float. You can be adrift. You can be lazy. But the call is to hold on to that, is to become mature in the faith, to take a more active approach and to grow up. So today, this week, the last couple of weeks, I've been asking myself the question, what does it look like to be a mature disciple of Christ? Now, notice I didn't say Christian. What does it look like to be a mature Christian? Now, I love the term Christian. I identify as Christian. But a lot of times when we use the word Christian in our culture, it just simply means someone or something that, that is a little bit Jesus-y. Someone who's a fan of Jesus, of which, by the way, I am a fan of Jesus. <laughs> But you know, we have Christian music and we have Christian colleges and Christian schools and it just kind of like, we just kind of attach it to things. And, some, and so many times we do that with our life, don't we? We just kind of attach it on, we don't really change anything else, but we just kind of throw the word Christian onto our life. But what scripture paints for us is that you are called to be a disciple. See, rabbis would call students to them. And the goal was that you would become like the rabbi. That you would teach like the rabbi. That you would talk like the rabbi. That you would treat people just like the rabbi. You might even eat like the rabbi. Everything you did would be like your rabbi. In church, you have a rabbi, and his name is Jesus. And Jesus calls you to him, not to just be a fan of him, but to become like him. And so when we say, what's it look like to be a mature Christian, that gives one connotation. And we could use that if we wanted to. But I think it does give a different understanding when we say, what does it look like to be a mature disciple of Christ? And that's what we're going for. 
So as I've been praying over this, thinking about this, I came up with three things. And this is my list. This is not an exhaustive list, right? In fact, you may come up with your own things. And in fact, that is one of my challenges to you this morning is that I want you to think of what does it look like? The people that I know in my life, those that are mature disciples, what do they have in common? What do they do? That's what I've been thinking about this week. And I've come up with a list. And some of the people I thought about are in this room right now. There are people in here that I look up to as mature disciples of Christ. These are some certain things that they have in common. Things that I want to challenge you to this morning. The first is this. Mature disciples of Christ that I know are unoffendable. The call for us is to be unoffendable. Now, this means to let go of small things, differences of opinion, little things like that. Don't let them get under your skin. Don't get offended at everything, but to let them go. To be the kind of person that doesn't react in situations, but you respond. In his book, Unoffendable, the, the writer writes that he used to think it was incumbent, incumbent upon the Christian to be offended, to take offense. Like, we should be the moral police everywhere we go. And in fact, if you think about the reputation that Christians have in this country, I think that fits pretty well, doesn't it? That where we go, what, what are we known by? The things that we're against. What are we known by? The things that we are outraged by. We're offendable all the time. We're fragile. We're gentle. And I don't mean that in the, spirit, in the fruit of the spirit way. But anything that goes against what we would want, we get offended. And we think that we're the police of everything. And the call is to not live like that. But rather, like it says in Romans chapter 12, if at all possible, live at peace with everyone. Now, think about that. Think about if that was the reputation of the Christian. That, man, I don't know that I believe what they believe. We don't agree about everything. But, man, are they easy to get along with? They, that we live at peace together. Wouldn't that be wonderful if that was our reputation in the world? Even those who are not Christians. The writer says, I don't expect people who aren't believers to act like followers of Christians. Why should they? But it's not my job to change their behavior. It's my job to love them. That's who we're called to be. In fact, my guess is that your fa- the favorite people that you have in your life, the people you like spending time with, they probably don't get offended all the time, do they? They're probably an unoffendable type. Now, let me stop and make an aside here for a second. When I say unoffendable, when I say not being offended, I'm not talking about injustices that you see in the world. Like we said last week, like Paul reminded us in communion, when you see injustice, it is upon the Christian to stand up in the face of that. As we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We want to right wrongs. Because as we were reminded this weekend, when you see injustices in the world, and you stand idly by, you become complicit in the injustice. But when we talk about being unoffendable, I'm talking more about how you might react in traffic. How you know those moments when you're in line at the grocery store and the person in front of you has a bunch of stuff and you're, you're just, you're being patient, but then they go, hey, hold on, I forgot a couple things. And you've already got stuff on the belt, right? And now you're having to wait on them. And then they get back and they go, I forgot one more thing. And you're like, listen, this is not how we do it. Or maybe a better example is when you're in the 15 or less things and you're counting, you're like, that person has 17 items. (laughs) 
Obviously, those are silly examples, but you know the kind of things that we get, we tend to get offended by all the time. Now, you may be sitting there asking yourself, okay, Kale, I want to be an unoffendable person. I don't want to react like this, so how can I do that? Well, the best way is to be the kind of person that lives with patience and kindness. Now, both of these are fruit of the Spirit, and so that brings a different idea in our life. These are not options. If the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then you can become a patient person. You can become a kind person. The spirit is at work in you. Now, I was telling some people after first service, this is really unfortunate that I planned this and prepped this because yesterday I lost my patience, okay? (laughs) Don't go ask my children about it, but they would tell you all about it. And I walked out and I went, oh man, hate it when that happens. But I think a lot of times we think about patience And we do think about it like, you know, I'm just not a patient person. I I just, you know, I was impatient and I couldn't help it. It's like, it's as if it's impulsive. You know, when I talk to my children and they say, you know, he hit me, so I just hit him back. I didn't even think about it. And we expect that out of children. Only sometimes adults, we talk the same way, don't we? And we go, well, I just couldn't help it. I didn't want to react with that. I just did. What if every single day you looked at the idea of patience and kindness as if you were going to practice them every day. That if every day you left your house and you went, there's going to be a place and a time to practice this today. And so then that moment comes up. And the person has 24 things and the 15 are items less. And you go, you know what? This is a great opportunity to practice kindness in this moment. To practice being patient in the moment. That's what it means to be a mature Christian. Is to figure out how to live that way, even when you don't feel like it, even when you want to react differently to give that kind of response. Because again, you know people in your life that can do this, people who have matured in the face and they do this. But can you imagine those moments when the person ahead of you knows exactly how you're going to respond? You're going to be impatient and you're going to be rude, but instead they're met with a mature Christian that responds with patience and with kindness. Someone who does not get offended, even though everybody else does. That's who we're called to be. I think another thing that these people all have in common that I would challenge you to this morning is to try missing out. Try missing out on something. See, you might have heard the acronym a bunch of times recently, FOMO, right? Fear of missing out. And now typically that involves, you know, an invitation to a party or a dinner or something like that. But I think it kind of carries further in our lives, doesn't it? We have this fear of missing out, that we won't understand the common language or the lingo or the reference. So I better watch what everyone else is watching. I better do what everyone else is doing because I don't want to be seen as different. Last week, one of the things we pointed out from Hebrews chapter 11 is that the faithful live differently. That if you are a faithful person, your life is marketably different. That people can sense a difference in it. I'll never forget when I was a youth minister, and I had been the youth minister at this church for a couple of years, so I built some time with these kids. And after Wednesday night one time, I heard them talking about going to see this movie. They're making plans to go see this movie together, and it was a movie that, that you would not want your kids to go see. And there I was, I was getting offended by hearing this. And so, do you see what I did there? No? Um, and I was... I was readying my response. And one of the seniors in my youth group kind of, he stepped over and he said, guys, 
I don't think we should go see this movie. It does not represent the kind of people that you want to be. It's not the kind of thing that we should go and watch. And I'll never forget the response to this day. There was another student that looked at him and he said, everybody else is going and I don't want to miss out. And it's easy to to point to those younger than us and say that's how they are. But church, I think we all live into that sometimes, don't we? That, That we don't want to miss out. We want to live very similar lives to those around us because of how we will look if we don't. We, we have the same idols of entertainment. We spend our money the same way. We care about the same things, the same kinds of things we don't want to miss out on. And yet, Peter, when he writes in 1 Peter chapter 2, he uses the language of foreigners and exiles. He says, you should be a foreigner and an exile. That even though you've lived in this community your whole life, they should see you that differently. You should be a foreigner and an exile. And an ex- exile is a loaded term for the Jew, is it not? Because they were exiles. They, they were dragged off to Babylon, where not only did the Babylonians change their name, they changed their diet, they changed their dress. Everything about them was different. And Peter says, you too should be like that now. What would it look like if your neighbors, if your friends, if your coworkers looked at you and said, I know you've lived in DFW your whole life, but man, something is different about you. That you don't do what everybody else does. You miss out on things. You opt out of things. You are so different. So those who are mature Christians embrace this difference. They're willing to do that, even when it's uncomfortable, even when it's difficult. And it's because of reason number three, or way number three, is that they have reframed their life. See, as I said, for many of us, when we are, especially when we're new Christians, maybe if you were raised in church, this is a little different for you, but when you're a new Christian, you are just all about adding things to your life, right? Like you add the Sunday morning moment. Used to, you went to brunch, and that was great, but now you come here, and you have brunch here out there. And by the way, we're so glad that you make your way here on Sundays. As you've heard me say before, I think it is the number one spirit, one of the number one spiritual disciplines you can have in your life. This is where we start every week. It is that important. However, if all you do is add one moment to your life, you're missing the point. You're not going to grow up. Because while it starts here, it doesn't stay here. And those who are mature disciples, the people that you know, they've reframed their whole life. Because there was a time that there was a tomb, and people ran to the tomb, and they found it empty. And that has changed everything. There was a time that you were far from God, but you ran to him. You might have been baptized into his name. Your sins washed away. And because of that, everything has changed. So it's not about just what we add to our lives. It's about reframing our whole life around that. You can only add so much. One of my favorite quotes that I've put before you before is from Annie Dillard. How we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our life. What we do with this hour and that one, that's what we are doing. I love this quote because I think so many times we think, well, we'll get to it. We'll we'll do that later. And, And you wake up years later and this is how you've spent your life. But those who are mature Christians, mature disciples in your life, they have rethought all of it. It's not just about adding something here or subtracting something there, but everything they do is based on this fact that the tomb is empty. 
And you have life with him now. That's what it means to be a mature disciple. So everything we do has changed. There are some good examples of this in your life. Think people that you have seen live this out. And one of my favorites comes from, of course, Chick-fil-A. I could probably use a Chick-fil-A reference almost every single week. It's that good. Holy chicken. Um, about a decade ago, an article was written that, that really tried to disparage Chick-fil-A in some of the ways that they give their money, some of the nonprofits that they support. And they were against some of those nonprofits. And you may remember this moment because everybody was offended and took up for Chick-fil-A. You might have remembered because you might have gone to Chick-fil-A that day because they need you. I've seen their drive through lines. They're always empty and they needed you to show up that day for Chick-fil-A. <laughs> but you did. Everybody was offended on behalf of Chick-fil-A except for CEO and son of founder Dan Cathy. Dan Cathy did something very different. He picked up the phone and he called the author of the article. And he said, help me understand. Help me learn what I don't know. Now, these people live very different lives, and they continue to do so. They don't agree on much, but they do agree on this, that they have a friendship. Because that friendship started with a one-hour phone call, and it grew over the months. And so when Dan Cathy hosted that year's Chick-fil-A Bowl, who did he invite but the author of that article? And that, that author later wrote another article saying, Look, we don't agree on much, but we do agree on this. We are friends today because one Christian responded differently than most of the others of us. Didn't respond with being offended, but, but responded in love. Said, well, help me learn. In humility, teach me what I don't know. And church, the, the call of Hebrews chapter 5 is that as we move on to advanced topics, to think about who Jesus is in our life, you have to start with this. Will you grow up? Will you leave the offenses behind? Will you leave the basics? Not that they're less important, but that you've mastered those. You've been here. This is the truth for many of us today. You've been here long enough, and it's time to take a step forward in your faith. It's time to re-engage, just like those who are newer Christians do. But there are two points that are important to remember. Is that you don't do it alone. The church goes with you. And it's not your work to do. It's the Spirit at work in your life. The Spirit, we allow the Spirit, we ask the Spirit to come in and rearrange our heart, to rearrange our life, and to help us take that step forward with Him. So as we close today, our shepherds and their wives will be around the room. And that invitation to pray at the start of the service, we want you to say yes now. Because it starts there. It starts with a prayer of just saying, God, I'm not where I want to be, and I want to take a step forward. This church often says you can come just as you are. Anyone is welcome here, but our promise to you is to not let you stay there. You can come here just as you are, no matter what or who you are. But our promise is to walk with you so that next year you're not the same person. And five years from now, you're not the same person because we want to grow up in the faith. So if we can help you with that today, say yes to prayer as we stand and sing.